Thank you. You can open your Bibles to Matthew 21. And again, it is indeed so good to see all of you here. Uh, I appreciate the announcement about April 11th, when we will change the time by 30 minutes. Um, I hate to change times all the time, but of course, uh, everybody understands a lot of things have changed over the past year. Uh, we've learned a lot of new lessons, and that's been good for us. Uh, we figured out new ways to do things. There are some things that will never go back to doing it the old way. Um, and, the, and the church needed a little bit of shake-up. I don't mean just Calvary. I mean the church in general. We had a lot of ideas that may, not have, that, that may have come along but weren't quite what they ought to be. One thing is we've gotten used to kids in the, in the service. I grew up with that. And then we kind of got away from that. Now we're back to it. But, uh, but at the same time, there, sometimes the parents need a little bit of help. So we're hoping by April 11th uh, there will be some limited help there because we have to be extremely careful, of course, with our children is why we weren't able to do it. But, uh, but I hope that you get to where you need to be in the next couple of months. I'm not going to recommend you do or don't take a vaccination or do or not wear a mask. You do whatever you feel under God you ought to do. I got a mask in my pocket when I need it. I've had the vaccination. I'm going to follow the old science and say, that means I ain't got nothing to worry about, <laughs> okay? That's just me. Never did have anything to worry about except living. <laughs> I asked my dad one time, or actually my dad told me to do something one time, and I said, I don't have to. Now, that was being a smart aleck kid, and he should have whooped me, but he didn't. What he said was, you're right. Uh, that shocked me, and he said, there's only two things, son, you got to do. You got to die, and you got to live till you do die. And I never forgot that, thankfully. Now, I understood what he meant. But if you don't do what I just told you, I'm going to whoop you, right? That's what that meant. That was long words to say, but I never forgot that. All only, my only responsibility is live while I got breath until I quit breathing. And so that's how I live my life. I just go till I can't go anymore, and then I'll lay down. Some people die and don't have the DC to lay down. They die long before they quit breathing. You know what I'm saying? Well, anyway. I grew up in church. I don't want to get on a soapbox. I'll get, I'll get ahead of myself. Let's read. This is about the triumphal entry. Would you stand up? This is Palm Sunday. This is the, the, the week that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And uh, I'm sure that I've just messed that up. They probably had that in a very particular place because of the lights and the cameras and stuff. But I moved it because it was bugging me. All right. Begin verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives... Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them on, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sought and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. 
but you've made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? Babies, you've prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Would you pray with me just a moment? Father, in Jesus' name, we come into your presence through the veil that's been torn by the sacrifice of Christ into the Holy of Holies, where, Father, you are seated and the blood of Christ is there on the mercy seat interceding for us. And we come boldly to your throne of grace, for we have great need. Lord, we are dealing with things that are too high and lofty for us. They are, they are beyond our comprehension as a human, except by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we pray right now, Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been given to you that you would pour him out on us, that we might receive and understand. You'd open the eyes of our understanding to behold the wonderful things out of your word. Lord, we worship you as Father. We worship you as Son. We worship you as Holy Spirit, the great I Am, Jesus the Christ, and the Comforter who comes. Lord, we thank you that you are three in one and one in three. And Lord, we thank you that, that today as we cry out in the name of Jesus, that all heaven and earth moves to answer this request so that we might know you better and worship you more truly and fully. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You can... Uh, be seated. In talking to people about Christ, by the way, this, I call this the King's Ride. I did call it the Ride to Revelation uh, because that's really what I'm going to explain to you, but it's also the King's Ride. It's kind of slang today to say, oh, that's a cool ride talking about your car. Well, this is the King's Ride, and the King's Ride was a donkey. And that's technically and actually true. That was, his, that was what he traveled on there in this text today. And so we're talking about that. And there's good old donkey. And uh, if you go to the next slide, I want you to remember this today. The question is not, is Jesus king? The question is, are you in his kingdom? As I talk to people about the Lord, uh, there are a lot of people uh, that believe and say, especially those in a false religion or a false cult, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jehovah Witnesses will tell you that all the time. Um, they are a false cult, and, and we pray for their salvation to know Christ Jesus as God, as Jehovah, which he does claim, by the way. But you will not find a Jew in the Old Testament, I mean in, in, in the New Testament, or today especially those who are uh, um, Orthodox Jewish people that do not understand that Jesus claimed to be Jehovah. He claimed to be God himself. He said it over and over many times. But as I grew up in church, I heard about Jesus' donkey ride into Jerusalem. And I was like, okay, cool. I mean, what does that mean? And then all the people are yelling and through the years, you always have these questions. Why did they start yelling Hosanna? Did like the disciples, you know, I don't know if you know this, but on live TV shows, like a game show or something, they got signs that go applause, quit applauding. <laughs> They're telling that crowd what to do. Those are not spontaneous reactions on any of those shows. And so I wondered, did, were the disciples like around him, like secret service men going, okay, say Hosanna, say, you know, what, what was going on there? Why did they spontaneously do that? But I want you to understand today that this ride into Jerusalem signified Jesus' claiming to be the eternal king of Israel. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, it's hidden to us because 
We don't know a lot of Old Testament. We don't know a lot of Old Testament prophecy. But the people living in that day, they were obviously looking for a Savior. In fact, as Matthew recounts this, he gives us a reference. And we're going to look more at that than, than, uh, than at the Matthew account. So you'll get a, a, a hint of it. In the first eight verses of the chapter we're going to look at in Zechariah, it's a prophecy of Greece and what Greece would do in conquering the world. And after Greece, the Jewish people we're never free again until 1948. I want you to understand that. The Romans overtook the Greeks and they ruled them and they destroyed pretty much the nation, the temple, all of that. And they were scattered, they were spread. And the New Testament is written a lot in that dispersion. It's to those who are in the dispersion, those who've been cast out. And, and, and they're explaining how Jesus is the Messiah and that he is our king. Well, this day is when Jesus makes this declaration it really is in a political sense even though Jesus did not do this politically in a political sense it is a challenge to the authority of Rome it's a challenge to Caesar himself he's claiming to be the sovereign king of Israel and that he will be that king forever I want you to look uh, with me in Zechariah and you say man I don't know where that is well it's one of the books almost just before the New Testament there's four that are fun to say together Zechariah is one of those four just before you get to Matthew so if you start flipping back now if you have trouble with that here's the way I do it when I can't remember or I don't know or I can't find it you look in the front of your Bibles there's a there's a table of contents and you can find Zechariah and it'll tell you the page number and you can just turn there. So I'll make it easy for you. I have mine pre-marked so I could get to it fast because it's kind of a small book, only about 10 chapters or so, a little bit more than that. But in chapter 9, as I said, the first eight verses there are a message uh, about Greece and then it kind of skips Rome. It doesn't say much, it doesn't say anything about Rome, but it skips to verse, in verse 9, it skips to this day we find in Matthew 21. And here's what it says. And it's quoted again in Matthew. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now in that text, just as a quick side note, it says very specifically that it's a donkey, but not just any donkey. It's a young donkey, a colt, of a foal. Matthew, make sure you understand that Jesus didn't grab some random donkey. He got the little baby donkey or a smaller donkey, a young donkey, from a mama that was with him. And they brought both of them because the baby ain't going to go without the mama. And the mama ain't going to let you take the baby away. It is fulfilled specifically to the specific prophecy. You may not, you may be one of those that says, well, I don't think Jesus is the Son of God. You know, uh, C.S. Lewis made famous this logical uh, conclusion about Jesus. Because many people say, oh, he's a great teacher. He, you know, well, Buddhism teaches that and so and so. And they compare Jesus to all these other leaders and, and philosophers of time. And C.S. Lewis took away that argument because Jesus cannot be a good man. He cannot be a great teacher. Because if he is not the son of God, he's a liar. If he thinks he's the son of God and he's not, he's a lunatic. And if he's telling you something that's not true, he's not a good teacher. So he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And you got to decide which one. When Jesus does this, when he fulfills this prophecy, he's saying, make up your mind. Am I the Messiah in your mind or am I not? Because he is claiming the kingship 
of Israel. You say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, very interestingly, and I marked this one too, so you don't have to turn there, but you might want to write it down. I'll remind you that if you have our app on your phone, or you can go to our website, all the scriptures I use today will be there. But 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Kings, sorry, uh, chapter 1 and verse 38. Let me set it up very roughly. David, the first king of, or second king of Israel, dies, the greatest king of Israel. He dies. He's got a bunch of sons, Solomon being one of them. And a couple of them went, well, I could be the king. And so this one guy, he ascends, one of the sons of David. I'm going to be the king. And he gets a bunch of people to follow him. But some of the faithful people to David knew that Solomon's supposed to be the king. So they go and get Solomon. And we find in verse 38 of this uh, chapter... So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. They put Solomon on a mule, the mother of a donkey, and rode him in on that donkey, on that mule, saying, this is the king. You've watched enough fictionalized movies and television. You know, back in the day before there was internet and telephones, hopefully you had a, a messenger that could lead the battlefield and go back home and say, this is what happened. We won, we lost, whatever, so that they could send more troops or do whatever they're going to do. But then all the people, they may not have heard that, and they would line up to see them coming back from war. And if they won, what you would see is the king riding a war horse in front of the parade, and they'd know we won. Our king is alive. We won. He's coming back. He's victorious. They've taken new land. We're great, good to go. That was the, that's what was happening in Rome over and over and over and over. Napoleon was doing it in the 1800s in the Arc de Triomphe, right? Well, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. It's the same symbol, but it's not a war horse. It's a gentle donkey prophesied in Zechariah it is exactly what God said would do and I read that about Solomon because Solomon was the first descendant of David to ride to his throne on David's mule Jesus is the last one to ever do it and there will not be another there will be no more king of Israel because Jesus is the eternal king remember God promised uh to uh well, to Abraham and, and on down the line, he promised that the kings would come out of Judah. And when David became king, God promised David, one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever. Now, I, I, I realize most of you in here, if not all of you in here, did not study the Hebrew language or the Greek language, biblical languages especially. So you might need a little help with this word forever. Do you know what? When, da when God promised David in the Hebrew language forever, hit one of his descendants would be the king of Israel. Do you know what that word really means? Forever. Problem was the kings kept conking out, right? Until Jesus. You said, well, how do we know he's descendant? Well, interesting you should ask that. God made sure you would know because he put the lineage of, of, of Joseph and the lineage of Mary, Matthew and Luke, so you would see that they both are direct descendants of King David. And that if there would have been a king of Israel in the days of Jesus, it would have been his father, Joseph, his earthly father. He's legally the king through Joseph's position, but he's spiritually the king because 
God made him to be the king. Sent him through Mary, who's also a descendant of David. And guess what? Yes, Jesus died, but he rose. He is the king forever. Literally, how long? Thank you. Good. He is David's last descendant to ride this colt, just as is declared here in Zechariah 9. He goes on in, in verse 10 in Zechariah. Uh, he talks about cutting off the chariots and the war horse from Jerusalem and all that. that is the, that's going to be the millennial reign. He, the, the Bible sometimes says things without letting you know it's skipping time. This is a skipping time. He's declared king here, but the political kingdom's not going to happen until the millennium. You say, I don't know what that, all that means. Well, that's es- eschatology, which means the last things. Here's what's going to happen. That, that there's going to be a final time of judgment on earth. And after that, we call it the great tribulation. And after that time, Jesus will come back and he will set up his kingdom on this earth for a thousand years. Let me repeat that. Jesus will set up his kingdom on this earth, the planet on which you and I now walk. It is not going to go away by nuclear war. It is not going to go away by climate change. It's not going to go away by anything on this planet. Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, I'm not saying we can't damage the earth. I'm not saying a lot of stuff's not going, bad's not going to happen because it can. But I want you to understand the earth will survive until Jesus comes back and he will reign here for a thousand years. And at the end, he'll destroy all of creation and make it all brand new. So we won't have a tainted creation any longer. I'm excited for that day. But I want you to understand that, that Jesus will come back as that conquering king at the end of the great tribulation and set up that political kingdom. Right now in Matthew, he doesn't mean for it to be political. He is getting a kingdom. It's not a secret kingdom because here we are. If you're a believer in Christ, you're in that kingdom. Anybody in that kingdom today comes through Christ. If you're a Jew, you got to come through Christ. If you're a Gentile, you have to come through Christ. And there ain't no more. Those are the only two. Those are the only designations that the Bible recognizes. It doesn't matter your skin tone or the country you were born in. You're either a Jew by birth or a Gentile by birth. If you're Gentile by birth, you've got to come into the kingdom through Christ. But here's the deal. We get that mixed up in our head. Well, the Jewish people, they're special. They, don't they get a buy? No. This is their Messiah. We are lucky that we get to follow their Messiah. And I use that word wrongly because we're not lucky, we're blessed. God meant for that to be. He said it in the Old Testament. He was using the Jewish nation to bring the Messiah who would bless all the nations. But they missed it. They didn't catch it. And they did not honor him as their Messiah. In fact, there in Matthew, we get down to the end of that passage. You notice they they start plotting to kill him. How are we going to kill him? Not only him, they also at the same time are plotting to kill Lazarus, his friend that he raised from the dead. You know why? Because Lazarus given a testimony about hanging out in heaven for four days. And it's so weird that these, these religious leaders, these guys who are supposed to know the word, are looking the Messiah in the face, looking at the evidence in their face and saying, man, we got to kill this dude. Everybody's going to believe he's the Messiah. Well, yes, because he is. And you ought to know that. In fact, they do know that. They knew it better than disciples. You remember when he died? Disciples go and hide. The the religious rulers go to Rome and say, Oh, uh, by the way, this guy claimed he was going to get up from the dead in three days. So we need you to seal the tomb so that doesn't happen. The religious leaders understood what he claimed and who he claimed to be. In fact, the New Testament says they sought to kill him because he being a man claimed to be God. And they wanted to kill him for it. And when he rose from the dead, he proved he was. 
And by the way, he's already claimed to be the king. He is the king. Pilate recognized him, put it on the cross. Behold, he, the king of the Jews. And he rose again and he never lost his kingship. That's what the triumphal entry is all about. So he is a rightful king, but he's a right, he is also a victorious king. They, they go into town. I'm back in Matthew now if you want to turn back there. They, they go to town. They find the donkey, just like he said. They start getting the donkey. Somebody says, hey, what are you doing? Uh, the Lord needs him. We'll get, bring him back. Okay, fine. And, and they start putting their coats on his back so the king doesn't have to sit on the, on the animal and make a little comfortable saddle for him. People start throwing. They see him coming. And the people who are anticipating deliverance politically from Rome, because I always so wondered why this crowd would shout Hosanna today, and in a week's time, less than a week's time, they're shouting crucify him. It's because they want him to deliver them from Rome. And he said, that's not my kingdom. That's not what I'm about. Uh, th this isn't big enough for me to worry about. I've, I, got, I got bigger fish to fry. We got to save the world. Psalm 2. He is seated at the Father's right hand until all the nations are made his footstool. And then the king will return. You see, we are his body in this earth, turning nations to the gospel, turning nations to Christ. And when all the nations have heard the gospel, when all people have had an opportunity to hear who Jesus is and to respond in faith or to reject him in rebellion, those are the only two choices you have. When, when you come to that day, he's coming back. And that will make the entire world his footstool because he is the king of the world. So the donkey gets prepared. The people are prepared. They see him come and they recognize what he is saying about himself. They say, hey, this, because notice when they said, who's this dude? And somebody said, he's the prophet. He's a prophet. No, he's not just a prophet. On that donkey, he's saying, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the one that is going to rule and reign. I am the rightful heir of the throne, and I'm taking it now. I'm fulfilling the prophecies that, that were given to David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. And Jesus is that one. But I also want you to notice the people get ready, and they start shouting. By the way, Hosanna just means save us, Lord, or Lord, uh, save us now. And the palm branches are a sign of peace, but they're also a sign of victory. They're a sign of salvation. And that, again, is all the way back in the Old Testament. That's what it's always been. I, I come from a state that understands that. I grew up in South Carolina. Palmetto trees saved us in a, in a Revolutionary War battle. That's why we got a type of a palm tree on our flag. <laughs> because it shows a victory. And that tree gave us that victory. Well, they cut palm branches because for whatever reason, the palm was a sign of of salvation. You be in a desert and the only thing there is a palm tree with some dates on it. You thank God for that. Right? And so it was a sign of victory, a sign of salvation and they cut the palm branches and they're waving them and throwing them in front of him and they're yelling, save us now Lord. Lord save us. But what the people understood what they were trying to say is get rid of Rome. And what he was trying to say is no, I need to get rid of your sin. It's not Rome I came to conquer. It's sin. It's death. I am here to conquer hell. I'm here to create a, you into a citizen of heaven that you who are lost can now be found. You who are broken can now be healed. And so the people declared Jesus as king. The people acknowledged him that way. But down in verse 12, we see what Jesus did. And, and, don't, and don't forget this. Don't miss this. People say, Remember when people tell you to act more like Jesus? Running people out with a whip is an option. 
Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sought and bold in the temple. So, bought and sold in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers the seats of those who sold pigeons he said to them it was written my house shall be called a house of prayer you made it a den of robbers it wasn't the fact that they were selling it was the fact they were cheating people and that we see that in other gospels that they that they if something it's sort of like when you go to a, a ball game at a stadium i know it's been a year since anybody's really done that but but a dollar coke is five dollars in the stadium why because they got you <laughs> You can't go anywhere. So you came, you had to worship, you had to have a certain kind of animal. You had, you, nope, we don't take foreign money. You got to change your money. If you ever traveled internationally, you get your money exchanged at the border so you have their kind of money to use. So people would come in to worship and they'd travel from a long distance. And then they're coming either walking or riding a donkey or a camel themselves. They can't carry a whole lot of stuff. So they get there and like, hey, can I buy a pigeon to sacrifice here at the altar? Yeah. But that pigeon costs you, a, you know, 50 cent down in the market. Oh, here at the temple, that's $5. And they were cheating them. They were robbing them who had come to worship the creator God who'd made all things. Now, it would have been fine if they would supply them for them at cost. That would have been okay. But they were cheating their brothers who wanted to worship God. Now, you got to get that right because we get all confused. By the way, this building is not the temple. This building's a building. You don't believe me, go check out Europe. Check places in America. You can go to Norfolk and eat in an old church. Freemason Abbey. At one time it was a church. It was a lodge for Freemasons. And now it's a restaurant. This building, there's nothing sacred about this building. There's something sacred about this building. This is where the Holy Spirit lives. Somebody once said, if you're going to tell somebody to be quiet in church, tell it to the fried chicken. Because that's what's going into the church right here, brother. <laughs> this is the temple. And Jesus comes riding in, not to declare a, 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 a earthly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And the first thing he does is, this is going to be a house of prayer. My kingdom is going to be a kingdom of prayer, of people who can commune with God, who can speak to God directly. They won't need a priest. They won't need a sacrifice. They won't need all these other things. They can come directly to the Father because he had told the disciples in John 17, we read, he says, the Father loves you and you don't have to, you, you can go directly to the Father in my name and he will hear you. And so Jesus cleanses the temple and nobody was scared except the religious people. I don't know if you catch that. It's not said there. But he ran out all these cheats. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And by the way, I believe that the church ought to be a house of prayer. But look at verse 14. But the blind, the lame, man, they come to him. Normal people get it. Experts sometimes don't get it. But normal people always get it. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. What a compassionate king. He brings healing in his hands. Actually in his wounds it says in Isaiah that by his stripes he was chastised for our iniquity. He was punished for our peace and by his stripes we are healed. And he heals people. He starts, they come to him and he doesn't let go of them. He heals the sick. He is a compassionate king. He first cleanses the house. And by the way, I told you, this is the house of God. And if you are here today and you are not a follower or believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I, I have to ask you or let you know this, 
that Jesus doesn't live in you. He's not with you. And the only way to be assured of his presence is to come to him and confess your own sin and, and acknowledge to him, Lord, I am a sinner. I know I don't deserve heaven, but I want to give myself to you and totally surrender your life to him. That means all your decisions and all your thoughts and actions from here on out. Now, you don't start there. You start by acknowledging your sin and asking him to save you. But as you live your life, he starts forming the image of Christ in you until the day that he gets you where he needs you to be and then he t takes you home. Last Sunday, uh, like, well, a little bit more than last Sunday, but the week before last, we lost a mighty warrior of the Lord that was a member here, Brother, Brother Marshall and, uh, and Marshall Brelo. And, and I tell you, we're going to miss him, but, uh, but I know where he is. He's standing in front of the throne and he's worshiping and praying right there where he can see Jesus. We long for that day. We're not afraid of dying because we don't die. We just change address. I just leave here and move there. And I will be more alive then than I've ever been before. What a compassionate king that he comes to heal us. And the final healing is death. So that this body of sin might be done away with. And he'll raise it up when he comes back into a new body. And fill it with my soul once again. And I will be with the Lord then and then forever. Well, what can we do with this? If, if you are a Christian, you got to understand Jesus is going to clean house. If this is the temple and Jesus is living in us, he's not going to live in a dirty house. He ain't that way. He wants to cleanse you of your sin. And if you are pushing back against the grace of God to heal you, then you need to quit doing that. You need to submit yourself to him. You need to stop that and say yes to Jesus who said yes to a cross for you. So, first of all, I would just give you this, that you ought to acknowledge Jesus as the promised King and Messiah. That's your only option. You either got to say, well, I know you're the King and Messiah, but I don't want you. Or you got to say, you're the King and Messiah and I worship you. That, that's it. So, just acknowledge that. And then... It sounds like the same thing, but then worship Jesus in spirit and truth. I say that to Christians because we use that language, but I don't think we actually do it. We, we need to intentionally say to Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, you are God. I trust you. I believe you. I know you're the king. I know you're the Messiah. I believe in you. I thank you for saving me. And just worship him because of who he is. And not only acknowledge him, but worship him very seriously and intentionally and Lastly, I'd say make your house a house of prayer. Make the house that Jesus lives in a house of prayer. Be a prayer. And pray for, pray for those who don't know him. Jesus didn't come just for you. He came for everybody that needs him. And he gives those of us who know him the, the job to tell everybody else that doesn't know him about him. I mean... We talk about Jesus came as a baby and he didn't come in any big parade and take over the world. And that's true, but he did come in that parade. But only those with faith saw it. Only those who knew who he was could see it. He's claiming to be the king of the Jews. And that was right. He is. And he still is today. But it's an interesting verse at the end of chapter 2 of the book of Romans. It says this, but they are not Jews who are those outwardly whose circumcision is of the flesh. 
but they are Jews, people of God, who are Jews inwardly, whose circumcision is of the heart. You see, to remove that covering so that our heart is exposed to God, and we say, yes, you can have it all, and we are just wide open in front of God. Lord, you see it? It's all yours. Do with it as you will. And we, when we are tender to the Father, we become the people of God. And that's a sense of that word Jew or Jewish, that we become the people of God. I don't mean any disrespect to any group of people. If you think I'm being that way, you're not listening to what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that was the, the revelation of Jesus through the Bible that he, he chose a man to become a family, to become a tribe, to become a clan, to become a nation. And out of that nation, he would send the Messiah that would take the revelation of all this Old Testament scriptures and it would be embodied in Christ who would then teach it to us, would die in our place as a man living a perfect life, be the sacrifice for us, be buried but rise again to re, to, so that the Holy Spirit could come and live in us and reveal to us the truth of the Father. And as important as next week when we see the cross and the resurrection is, you got to understand, I, I've, I just always have wondered, why did he come riding in on a donkey a week early? Well, now I know. He did that to say, I'm the king. And you better pay close attention to what's happening this week. <laughs> because by the end of this week, you're going to know who the king is. Because I'll rise from the dead. He might not have said it on this day, but he said it all through his life, that that is exactly what would happen. And so today, I want you to come to Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, again, we bow in your presence because we know that we are not perfect. Lord, in fact, we have no good in us, in our flesh. There dwells no good thing. You are our only God and hope. You're our only Savior. And Lord, as we bow before you now, I pray for those who do not know you, I pray that, that you might just move in their heart. Let them know their condition. Lord, I, I can't talk them into it. But your Holy Spirit can bring conviction in their heart. And, I, and so I just pray you would do that, Father. That the Holy Spirit would come, Lord Jesus. Would you send him to speak to all of our hearts, Lord, to the lost that they need, need you as their Savior. To those who have you as their Savior, to clean up the house, to get rid of the things that stand between us and you. Lord, indeed, we acknowledge you are the king. You are the eternal king. And when you come back, you will come back on a horse. You came in gently on this donkey. And we, we get it. You were saying it, but very quietly and subtly. But when you come back, it is not going to be quiet. It is not going to be subtle. You are going to be riding a mighty war horse, a heavenly war horse with king of kings written across your chest, lord of lords written on your thigh. And you will conquer physically the nations of this world. Lord, we look forward to that day. And we thank you that we're already in your kingdom. Now, those of us who know you, Lord, may we live like we're in the kingdom. 